It's going to be a new experience today because I left my iPad at home. But I always have a backup of the sermon on paper just in case something happens. So um, I haven't preached from a paper draft for a long time. But anyway, hopefully you'll bear with me as we shuffle. Um, the elephant in the room. In 1814, Ivan Advanovich wrote a fable entitled The Inquisitive Man. And the fable tells the story of a man who goes to a museum and notices all sorts of small things and displays, and, but he fails to notice the elephant that is in the room. And so when he comes out of the museum, one of his colleagues comes up to him and asks him what he thought of the museum. And he goes on and on and on about all of the little things that he saw in the museum. And the colleague asks him if he noticed the large elephant that was in the room. And the man responds, no, I didn't notice the elephant in the room. And so from this simple fable comes the expression of the elephant in the room. And the expression the elephant in the room means a big issue that we are aware of, but which is being ignored because everybody finds discussion about it uncomfortable. And the rationale behind the idiom is that an elephant in a room would be impossible to overlook, but people in the room can nevertheless choose to behave as if the elephant was non-existent. What is the symbolism of an elephant? Many African cultures revere the elephant and use it as a symbol of strength and power. And in South Africa, the elephant's tusks are in their coat of arms to represent wisdom, strength, moderation, and eternity. The elephant in the room are those issues or issue which no one wants to address, but at times can feel paralyzing. Sometimes it can be a sore spot and no one dares to touch it and so it is ignored. And sometimes the elephant in the room rises out of those secrets, those experiences, thoughts, and feelings that we keep deep from view. Some secrets by their very nature contain information that if disclosed could endanger lives or security. But then there are those secrets that if not shared or talked about openly can and often do become elephants in the room. These are those questions, problems, solutions, or issues that many of us know but choose to ignore because to do otherwise could cause embarrassment, sadness, or even trigger an argument. And what happens to those types of secrets is that they usually many times become elephants in the room. What types of elephants do we as a congregation have that are in our room? And how can we as a community of faith work with and deal with the elephants that are in our room? I believe that we first need to acknowledge their presence, name them, identify what nature that they are. 
A few months ago, I invited all of you to join me on a journey of transition for these next 18 months. I explained to you that my role as your interim minister, and I shared with you William Bridges' quote when speaking of transition and discovery, he said, change is situational. Transition, on the other hand, is psychological. It is not those events, but rather the inner reorientation or self-redefinition that you have to go through in order to incorporate many of those changes into your life. And without a transition, a change is just a rearrangement of the furniture. Unless transition happens, the change won't work. My number one responsibility as your interim minister is to aid you through this transition process. Interim transition periods are intended to be times of discernment for us all. And part of my work is noticing opportunities and including possibilities that call out for a response right away, even before a new minister is called. The interim period that we are in right now is to provide the breathing space during which you as a congregation can review your goals, assess your programs, consider the quality of its life in common, and tune up for a new era. This period is also a time to address issues so that they are resolved before a new settled minister arrives. The interim period is a time for a whole congregational system to practice adapting to a different ministerial leadership style and new expectations. We are well on our way. A search team has been selected and has actively started working on following the process needed to select and eventually make an offer to a settled minister. But now we need to really begin to examine the difference between change and transition. The difference between these is subtle but important. Change is something that happens to people even if they don't agree with it. Transition, on the other hand, is internal. It's what happens in people's minds as they go through change. Change can happen very quickly while transition usually occurs more slowly. Change and transition are inevitable in life and in the life of a congregation. And our vitality are important to our growth. Without change, we remain stuck and unable to reach our goals and our potential. Change is sometimes unexpected, sometimes unwanted, and frequently uncomfortable. That's why it's so important that we under how, understand how to manage change. Change versus transition. Now, what's the difference? It is not uncommon for people to use the terms change and transition interchangeably. However, there is a clear distinction between the two. Going back to William Bridges, he said, change 
as he said before, change refers to a specific event, such as a new job, becoming a parent, losing a loved one. If you looked at the timeline of your life, you could pinpoint the days, or the general time period at least, when changes occurred in your life. Transition is not nearly as literal, linear, or concrete. Instead, transition is the process we go through in response to change. And while one would argue that a transition is also a time period, I prefer to view it as the constellation of thoughts, feelings, emotions, and actions we have to do in response to change. Going back to Bridges, transition is psychological. Change is situational. It is not events, but rather the inner reorientation and self-redefinition you must go through in order to incorporate any of those changes into your life. There's an adage, the only constant is change, and I don't think we can say the same about transition. It's tempting to rely on external things to accumulate to change. We might buy a new house, develop a new hobby, or even turn to substance to cope with some of our changes. But these are actions that become helpful in coping mechanisms, and sometimes not. But if we're not careful, they become an avoidance strategy keeping us from experiencing our thoughts and emotions. There is another way. We can choose to move consciously through the transition process, integrating the change into our lives and our sense of self. But unless we're willing to dig deeper and examine just how change impacts our true innermost self, then its effects remain superficial and we won't move forward. As Bridges puts it, as I said before, without a transition, change is just a rearrangement of the furniture. You have put a great plan in place for change management in the search process for a settled minister. But now by working together, we must develop a plan for or awareness of transition. This involves coming to a clear understanding of what the role is of an interim minister and what needs to happen with the congregation during this transitional time. The role of an interim minister, and I quote from the UUA, is to help a congregation make changes between settled ministers, to correct problems, evaluate the effectiveness of your organizational structure, to clarify roles and responsibilities for both ordained and lay leadership. The ultimate responsibility of the interim minister is to prepare the congregation for the next settled minister. The interim minister is not a placeholder until the new settled minister arrives. The interim is more like a mirror reflecting the congregation back to itself. The interim points out things the congregation might not see about itself. 
as your interim minister, I am striving to ensure that as a congregation you are poised for, ex- for a successful search and a fruitful new ministry at the end of my interim period. My eye is toward the overall present and future health of this congregation. In this role, I'm trying to have healthy relationships with staff and with each of you. And part of my role is to detect problems or weaknesses that went unnoticed or uncorrected during a previous ministry. This is a very natural result of someone new stepping in with a fresh eye. A good comparison of my work is that of a real estate agent walking through your house before you put it on the market, allowing you to see it more objectively and helping you to correct things that don't look right or or that don't work quite right. The interim period is a time to address issues that are resolved before a new settled minister arrives. The interim period is a time for the whole congregation system to practice adapting to different leadership style and new expectations. This can be exciting and energizing work, but it's hard work. So what does my role have to do with elephants in the room? When I first arrived, I invited all of you to join me on a journey of discovery and transition. And I've been observing you. And I have identified three elephants in the room. And please believe me when I say that as I discuss these with you, it comes from a place of not criticism, but a place of love. And helpfulness. The first one is resistance to change. This is a normal reaction. You've been led by a fine minister in Michael for the past 28 years. And over these next few months, during this transitional time, I'm asking each of you to be open to new ideas, new ways of thinking and being. Change is happening, and it will continue to happen even beyond me and even when you get a a settled minister. Think back on your own lives and the changes that they have gone through. I know for me some changes were harder than others, but what helped me through was having an open and willing attitude to adapt to new ways of thinking and new ways of being. Change to this congregation was forced upon you with the retirement of the Reverend Michael Brown. And so the logical brain says our task as simple as a congregation is to accept the change, move on to embrace the opportunities that change allows. But I realize that this is more easily said than done. And my interim ministry is to help you as a congregation to build a bridge from what was to what will be. So let me repeat that. My interim ministry is to help you to, as a congregation, to build a bridge from what was to what will be. 
And I have learned a great deal from all of you about change in the transition process. And I have made some mistakes regarding change. In my zeal to help you in a situation, I failed to take into feelings and emotions of what a change would have. And I'm so sorry for that failure and the relationships that have been harmed because of my actions. And I hope that someday those who have I offended will find in their hearts to forgive me and understand what my intent was. We're a community, and as a community, I invite each of you to come together and to look for ways in which we can embrace change and look forward to this transition time with a degree of excitement and discovery. Reverend Linda and I will be doing a workshop in the next few months about change, and I invite each of you to join with us as we explore change and the resistance to it. The second elephant in the room must deal with conflict in the ways in which we as a congregation manage conflict. Triangulation is not a way to handle conflict. So what do I mean by triangulation? Triangulation occurs when two or more people gather together and talk about a third person rather than to that person. Whenever individuals interact with each other, there are bound to be differences of opinion, and conflict can and does many times arise. So let's, for example, Sue becomes offended by something that Jan said to her, and rather than confront Jan directly and share with her that she was offended by what Jan said, Sue chooses to go to Sally and talk about Jan. Now, Sally is a friend of Jan and respects Jan in her work. And Sue feels bitter, feels better because she has unburdened herself now to Sally. But what is Sally supposed to do with what Sue has told her? If Sue asks Sally to talk to Jan about what has happened, a triangulation occurs. And the problem that arises out of a triangulation is that the person who has been offended now has shifted responsibility of his or her feelings onto someone else to solve and to make it right. The growth that Sue could have experienced by going directly to Jan is now lost in this way of handling conflict thus becomes a pattern. As your interim minister over these past few months, many of you have come and spoken to me regarding a conflict that you have with an individual or with a group. And my reaction and counsel to you has always been and always will be for you to sit down with that person face to face, discuss the conflict. I have offered to be in the room as a quiet observer but it still expected you to approach that person. Conflicts are always a part of congregational life. And what I'm asking of all of you as we go forward, that when a conflict arises, go to that person. Talk with them. When a congregation practices triangulation, it always ends up creating an us 
versus them mentality. And this is always harder to overcome. The third elephant in the room is that of a clear vision. What do you want to be as a congregation? Why do you exist? How can you make a difference in the community where this church resides? These questions revolve around vision and purpose. And my role is to help you as a congregation to discern your common understanding of your future and to strengthen your care of each other and of this community so that you can head into the transitional time with an attitude of can-do and a commitment to doing. These three elephants in the room are challenges, but I believe that as we all work together, we can overcome them. And here are some strategies that I believe will help us. Resistance to change. Look for opportunities in your life to try something new. Maybe it's a new food. Maybe you walk a different way in the morning. Maybe you drive a different way home. These simple changes will begin to open your mind that other changes that will be happening in this congregation as we move forward and as a settled minister comes. Management of conflict. Don't be tempted to enter into a triangulation. If someone comes to you with a problem, a complaint, encourage them to sit down with the person or party to discuss. Don't become the person in the middle who the offended party will look to for you to resolve their problem. If individuals come to you and want to share gossip or other information about an individual in the congregation, tell them in a firm but polite manner that you wish not to engage. Three, having a clear vision. Start today thinking about what the church means to you, what you would like to see in the future and what your role can be in making this happen. Don't be settled with maintaining the status quo. Be creative and think about new ways of being and doing things. I have identified three elephants that I see in the room. And now I invite each of you to take out the paper in your order of service that has an elephant on it. And write, take a few minutes to write down on the line provided what your elephant is and what you plan to do. Keeping in mind that an elephant in the room is something that we know is there, but for whatever reason, we choose not to recognize it. And once you've written it down, what your elephant is in the room, and then take a, and, and written a few short sentences on what you want to do, pass your papers to the center aisle, and we'll collect them. And this week, I will post them somewhere in the church. So please don't write your name on them. And as you're writing, it's only fitting, uh, we'll have music from Rosa, Baby Elephant Walk.
It can either be something in your life or it can be something that you identify with the congregation. So I'll take them and I'll paste, I'll draw a big, huge elephant and paste them on it or something. We'll find some creative way to uh, put this, <laughs> put it on the refrigerator. Well, <laughs> that's a creative idea. So thank you for um, indulging me in this process. As we come to the end of the service, it would be my hope that what I've said today, that you'll take at heart. I love serving as your interim minister. When Jerry and I just finished two weeks together, we were in Cape Cod, and, and as I got in the car on Tuesday morning to drive back to Peoria, he said to me, I support you, and it's very hard to be apart, but he supports me in this job and task that I've been called to do, and he thanks each of you for being here, for taking care of me, for loving me, and I thank you also. In closing, may I suggest that each of us make a commitment, one, to look for ways each day to embrace change, two, to have those difficult conversations with those who have offended you, and three, to begin to think about and write down what your vision is for your life and for this congregation. And as your interim minister, I commit to you the following. One, I will do a better job of recognizing other people's emotions and not be so quick to judge and to push people to change. Number two, I will continue to practice good conflict management techniques and be open to suggestions and comments as to how I can improve as your minister. And number three, I will help you all as a congregation to begin to identify your vision and to assist you in laying the steps to make it happen 
and to help you to embrace this transitional time in which we are in. May it be so.